this is really fun for me to preach today because it's a story that's beautifully written, and I just get to tell you how fun it is to read through this stuff to the glory of God. Let's pray, and we'll get, we'll get rolling. God, thank you for your word. I pray that through your spirit, you would enlighten our hearts and our minds to understand what it is that you inspired Luke to write in here. Please help us to grasp with, wrestle with the gospel, what it means on the judgments against us, what it means on the forgiveness for us, and ultimately what it means for the peace and hope and joy that we can have in Christ and in Christ alone. Please speak powerfully to us. Your words to your people. Amen. All right. So we are in a series called uh, The Nativity. Um, The Nativity, uh, just the word nativity just if you define it, it means a place of birth. We've kind of been going through this idea of nativity as uh, that, that place of birth of Jesus. And it's more than just this baby has been born here and this is his nativity. It's like the capital N nativity. The, the nativity, the place of birth where God himself was born, where the word eternal took on flesh and dwelt among us. The nativity is that threshold from which King Jesus comes through into his world. The creator enters creation. The author enters the story. The whatever you want to say, it's a huge threshold. It is the nativity. And today our text is so amazing because it's built up this idea that Jesus is king. But today it clarifies that this king, this Messiah, this promised deliverer is in fact our savior. And that makes this a wonderful text. Now, as you've all settled into your seats, I would ask that you rise, if possible, and stand out of reverence for God's word as we read our text today. This is Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So the big takeaway today is rejoice. God saves sinners. Rejoice. God saves sinners. If you uh, have a Bible, I strongly encourage you, I should have done this a while back, I encourage you to get in to the Bible. Now, uh, if you're on an app, if you're on paper Bible, uh, whatever it is, uh, it'd be really helpful. We're just going to walk right on through this. So, verses 8 and 9, they set up the scene for us. And as, as, uh, as Luke prepares for us to receive the good news, okay, if we look at this piece of literature, it is literature and we will look at it very much as though it is literature today. So there's something that happens. You can, you can just go through, and it's, a, I don't know, an exercise that, I don't know, it's fun to do, it's, it's good to do sometimes, is that you can just uh, cross off any of the non-essential information for the plot. So if we do that, basically, uh, with this text, we do this. Uh, what we get is, uh, so there are some shepherds, 
and an angel showed up and he gave him a message. So that's basically our plot. Um, there's maybe a little bit more in there. So why all of these words? Well, because if we're reading just a story, then, then we can just get the plot and move on. However, there's a message for us today. Uh, there's a message, and that's all of the wording that surrounds that basic plot is that message for us today. What is the content of the angel's good news? What's happening? What are the, what are the shepherds feeling? What do we know of this angel? There's a lot more in there than we first see. So there's a lot more wording here than is necessary for a simple plot because there's a message for us today. So before we jump into this message, I want to ask the text the question, who is this messenger? In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. So I'll ask the question, who is this messenger? Who, who or what are angels? Wow, that's a huge topic. Um, maybe I'll ask a better question. Who or what are angels here in this text? So there are a lot of culturally produced misunderstandings of angels. Um, that is a wonderful conversation, and for the sake of time and just the honor of the text that's here, that's a topic for another day. For the purpose of understanding today's passage, I want to talk about what these angels are or who these angels are. So I'll clarify that in the Old and New Testaments, angels just generally, in the Old and New, that's the whole Bible, angels are the messengers of God. Angels are the messengers of God, oftentimes carrying that message with words, sometimes carrying that message with actions. So they are the messengers of God. The word angel in the New Testament is the same as the root word for messenger. So here we go. You're going to get like, you can throw this around. It sounds super smart. Uh, the word in Greek, you're going to hear this with English ears, is angelos. Oh, there you go. That's message or, message or messenger, angelos. So you get that. I mean, I'm kind of saying a little bit more American, but um, that's what it is. It's the word there we read in the Bible is angel. It's messenger. They're carrying a message for that. I want to go to the Old Testament understanding of angel, though, because in the Old Testament, you know, partnered with this idea that they are a messenger, we also see that the word used in the Old Testament oftentimes for angels uh, is that they're referred to as a host or hosts. Uh, I won't say that word because it's like just spitting a whole bunch and it's, it's, uh, it's funny sounding. But it means hosts or hosts. And, and it, de- it derives from this Hebrew word dis- used to describe military troops. That's different. Military troops. So... If we get what happens throughout all the scripture, we get these angels who are messengers of the military of God. So I don't need to say this is what they're not. That's a lot of what we get here. We get this military messenger of God. So well-known Christian songwriter Chris Tomlin actually gets this right here. He rightly refers to them in a song. Uh, the line is, the God of angel armies. Now, God, I, I would sing it, but it would kill you. Uh, the God of angel armies. There we go. Uh, when he says angel armies, he's thinking of hosts of the Old Testament. So, hey, nice job, Tomlin. Um, here in Luke 2, then it makes sense that these military runners or these military couriers are delivering news. They're delivering military news. They're delivering the good news, is what they say. In essence, they're announcing the arrival of the warring king in a time of war. Oh man, now we have moved from this tranquil hillside with some shepherds to we are getting 
a wartime announcement by these people. This is different. If you want to see how different, just type uh, Google, what is it, Shepherds, Angels, and then just look at all the art. Oh, man, you don't really get a whole bunch of military couriers delivering a wartime announcement. You get a lot of other things. And I think that's what's really striking about this. Because if we now understand who this, this angel is, and, and we understand that, that he's a, a messenger of the military, then he would be delivering, in a time of war, wouldn't that messenger be delivering to another general? But that's the crazy thing about this message. Is that here in Luke 2, for some reason, this angelos is delivering an announcement about the warring king's arrival to a few random shepherds. And that's so very boring. That's so not impressive. That's so underwhelming. Now, I, I, I don't know, maybe sarcastically, I think if we are good, uh, if we are good Bible readers or if we've just heard Christians say the random few things that they love to say, which some of those are really good, John 3.16, that's a good one. John 3.16 has prepared us for this, right? We shouldn't be surprised that the angels, these warring messengers of God are coming to these simple people, right? Because, because, because John 3.16, now hear me this uh, on this. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the really important people, the generals. He loved the, 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 the movers. He loved the culture creators. No, no, no. John 3.16, For God so loved the world. We really shouldn't be surprised that the angels come to these men, these simple, unimpressive shepherds. Now, if we bring it back from John, it sets us up there. Luke, throughout his gospel, one of the main points that Luke is making is similar to that. He goes a step beyond that, not to say that God loved the world, but he says Jesus specifically comes to the unimpressive people of this world because he loves the unimpressive and the impressive just the same. And overwhelmingly, you're going to see Jesus go after people who don't feel they deserve him. So, we can have joy because this messenger in a time of war comes out to us, to you and I, and he says, hey, you're worth it. We're going to fight and we're going to win. Oh, what a great, joyful message. So all I've done is just set up this message here. <laughs> and I'm going to set it up one more, a little bit more, and then actually get into the content. That's where I want to be. So the angel appears. Uh, we're in verse 9 now, uh, but the shepherds are freaked out. Uh, verse 9 says, they were filled with great fear. Now, I suspect a lot of that has to do with the angel's supernatural appearing in the middle of the night with the glory of God around him. I'd be freaked out if I'm sitting there and an angel manifested himself. I, I get that. Uh, that would be kind of freaky. But our text doesn't say this. Um, and I suppose that there's also something about this warring messenger of God thing, too. Like, I'm sure he's not just, you know, surprise, I look like a little fat flying baby cherub, you know? Like, I mean, that'd be kind of creepy in a, in a Chucky way, but that's not the same thing. This warring messenger of God, he's probably kind of terrifying. Let me go a little bit further to get away from that horrible uh, imagery there. Three times to this point in one and a half chapters of Luke, an angel has appeared. Three times in one and a half chapters. That's a lot of angelic appearance in any one and a half chapters of the Bible. Every single time an angel appears in these one and a half chapters, all three of them, he says something like, Zechariah, don't be afraid. Mary, don't be afraid. Shepherds, fear not. 
There's something about this. And, you know, and I want to say uh, that, that, that he's kind of coming in and almost apologetically saying, like, yeah, I'm here, surprise, I know, that's a little intense. Everybody gets a little freaked out on that little thing. It's just kind of how we enter the world here and there, and that's the thing. And we can kind of do that, and he's kind of backpedals a little bit. Um, I think we could think that would be there, and we could run with that if we didn't have the rest of his message. If he just said, fear not, angel or baby over there, but his message is just captivating. Because in his message, he gives us reasons why we shouldn't fear. And none of them are, fear not, I'm safe. Like, he doesn't even care about himself. He says, fear not, you have a fear beyond just me showing up right now. There is a fear in this world of not knowing your Savior. There is a fear in this world of not understanding what your fate is going to be today or tomorrow or the next so, if you are craving an outline, I have three reasons why not to fear. Verse 10. I'll just read the message and then we'll go through it. Um, his message is, starts in verse 10. He says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The first reason why not to fear in this life is fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great, no- great joy. It's because we have good news of great joy. Okay, so interactive now. If you have a Bible with you, if you have your own Bible with you today, uh, I'd encourage you uh, to circle the words great fear in verse 9 and the word great joy or the words great joy in verse 10. Or, or if you're, I don't know, on your phone, however that works. If you don't have a Bible with you, write the words down. Great fear, great joy. Uh, and, uh, and if you don't have that option, then you can text someone because you all have phones. You can text someone, preferably someone who will follow up with this conversation with you because uh, that's a great way to remember those things. Great fear, great joy. While you're doing that, um, I want to set this up here. There's a, Bible, there's a Bible interpretation tool that I want to give to you today. It's called Parallelism. It's where you basically, you, you put two things up against each other, or right next to each other, and you observe the, the, the similarities and differences between the two. So, um, I don't know, here's a really bad example of it, just to get our minds kind of in the ballpark of what we're doing here. Um, a square is a triangle, or a, a square is a rectangle, and, uh, but a rectangle is not a square. So there's kind of this poetry within that, and there's kind of this logic within that, and whatever. And so you kind of sit there, and you're like, hmm, I wonder what are the rules here. They, we're not telling you what makes a square a square, or a rectangle a rectangle. A square is a rectangle. A rectangle is not a square. And then you have to kind of sit here in this middle area, and you kind of have to figure out what is the deeper meaning here? What are the qualities of these? The Psalms, that's how they're written. That's why how sometimes why we read the Psalms and we're like, that was weird, and I don't know why. It's because this parallelism's there. So as a tool, I want to remind you then, this parallelism is, uh, is, um, is one of many tools. You don't build a house with only a hammer. Uh, so you can't read the Bible with only parallelism. It gets super weird if you do. How do we know that we can use it here? Because there's word repetition. That's really your key. So when you see word repetition, then you can start to ask that. So uh, the angel could have, uh, we could have read in Luke that the, the, the shepherds had fear. And we could have heard that there was great, uh, there was good news of joy. But for some reason, Luke put the word great in there to signal all of us, hey, something big's happening here. Let's think about it. 
great fear, great joy. So let's go there now. I really set that up. Let's think about this. Great fear and great joy. Using our powers of parallelism, how do they contrast? How do they, how do they compare? I'll speed this up. This is the way you wrote notes down, you know, to follow up later because I'm going to go really fast on this. When we put those together, what we're going to find out is those aren't actually opposites. Fear and joy, those aren't opposites. There's something else in this middle area that's not being told to us. There's something about, what's in the middle of that? Fear not, for I bring you good news. There's something about this good news between fear and joy that turns fear into joy. For now, this is going to be big, uh, for now we can at least conclude that there's something about this good news, as you can see on the screen there, that's in the middle of fear and joy. There's something about this good news that completely transforms our entire outlook and relationship with reality itself. An angel shows up, and these guys have great fear. Now, that's their reality. Something is terrifying about this situation. However, when we understand this good news, that exact same situation can end up being great joy. And that's what the angel is saying. I am going to change your view of reality. I'm going to restructure how you understand an angel showing up and spitting out this truth, this good news, and you won't walk away terrified you are going to walk away with incredible joy. Oh, that's amazing. What is this good news? I've been talking about it this whole time. What is the message? What is the message? What is the message? Let's get there now. Verse 11. For unto you is born this day a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What's so great about this angel's good news? We have a savior. We have a Lord and King. He is the Old Testament's promised Messiah. You translate that into Greek, you get Christos. You translate that into English, you get Christ. That's what it's saying there. This is the Messiah from every page before, and he's here, and he's Lord. Not Caesar, this guy is Lord, and he's Savior to the nth degree. The angel's message to all of us caught in the no man's land of the spiritual war today is fear not, you have a savior. You have a savior and you will be okay. So J.I. Packer, a great, uh, great theologian, um, he, he wrote a, a concise definition of the gospel. Uh, I go to it often. I think it's really helpful. So uh, basically, it's God saves sinners. Uh, I'm going to just quote him because he's way more eloquent than I. And, uh, and so you can just follow along. Just God saves sinners. You can look at it on the screen or write it down. I'd encourage you to do that as well. God saves sinners. Here we go. J from J.A. Packer. God, the triune Jehovah, Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons working together in sovereign wisdom, power, and love to achieve the salvation of a chosen people, the Father electing, the Son fulfilling the Father's will by redeeming, and the Spirit executing the purpose of the Father and the Son by renewing. So God saves. 
He does everything, first to last, that is involved in bringing man from death in sin to life in glory. God plans, achieves, and communicates redemption, calls and keeps, justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies sinners. Men as God finds them guilty, vile, helpless, powerless, unable to lift a finger to do God's will, or better, their spiritual lot. That's weighty. The good news is not that you are an underachieving shepherd who is promised a divine rags-to-riches story if you are become a Christian or if you do enough good things. The good news is not that the king will come and kill all your enemies and set you victorious over them. The, the, the strangeness of the good news is that you are a vile and helpless sinner and that God saves sinners. Ah, what joy is that? (laughs) Fear not. I bring you good news of great joy. Fear not, for unto you is born a Savior. Fear not, for unto you is born this day In the city of David, a Savior. One of the things I love about Advent is that it validates our longing, our hope, our anxiety, our our, our desire, just our, 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 our deep longing. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray that all together. Come, Lord Jesus. When will this be real? When will you come? When will you save me? When will you do these things? And we can just, we can, we can embrace those and and use them for the glory. And so at this point, he say, unto you is born a Savior. And in the spirit of Advent, though they didn't have Advent back then, the shepherds are probably wondering when, where, why, what, what are we doing here? Where do we go? When is he here? And we get it right here. Fear not, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. That's the same message for us today. If I translate that to today, December 16th, 2018, fear not, Jesus is real. Our Savior has come. He is here. He is now. So if you feel caught in the no man's land, if you feel like, God, are you shooting at me? Are you punishing me? If you feel, Satan, you got your hooks into me. I, I just can't get out of this. I, 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 am, I am a failure. I, I am lonely. I can't do this. That's the feeling of the no man's land. You don't have to wait. Our Savior is here. Romans 10, 8 through 11. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. uh, For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So, believe, confess. You don't have to fear approval of God. You don't have to fear approval of man because, not fear, but your confidence is not in your works that you, may, that you must present before a perfectly holy, perfectly just, all-powerful warrior, God, and judge. Your confidence 
is in Christ, who has taken your shameful sin before the Almighty God and suffered the punishment of God's holy and just wrath for your sins. That's where our confidence lies, in one who has done that. Not to appease an angry God, but to uphold his justice and out of an act of obedience to his perfect love. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. If we did not have such a great Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, that is, if the Savior was not born, as the angel says, we would, we would not have hope in this world or in the world to come. Fear not, for unto you this day is born a Savior who can turn your hopeless sorrow into joy. So believe and rejoice. That's the last two verses of our passage. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, the way this, the way this uh, uh, reads, the way that uh, Luke writes, if we go back to chapter, or verse 1 of chapter 2, and, and, we, and we look at this as literature, it is literature. It's divinely inspired literature. And so we can, we can, we can uh, look at it that way. There's a way that Luke is writing that suggests this, this dichotomy, this difference, this parallelism between the kings, Caesar and Christ. And we can kind of understand that something here is happening that's way bigger than Caesar. Luke is contrasting the king of Rome, Caesar, with the king of kings, Christ. In a way, uh, in the way that he orders his account, Luke says, Caesar can have his forced Roman peace. Take a census, count the people, move the troops, get the money. He can have his forced Roman peace. But the prophet Isaiah's promised prince of peace is now here. And he's the only one who can bring about not simply tranquility, or the absence of fighting, but his death and resurrection make possible true and lasting peace, shalom, wholeness, completeness, peace with God. All only through faith in God, faith in Jesus. Glory to God in the highest. So, kind of as a final thought, as we're looking at this picture here, we see, we, see the, we see the shepherds in the region, in the hills. We see the angel. They're speaking. They just burst on the scene a whole bunch of other people. Let's repaint this picture here. You know, oftentimes I've always thought, you know, this is just a choir. There's something else here. Let's repaint the picture. On whose lips are these words? It's not on, the God, uh, it's not on God's eternal castrato choir singing nice praise and worship. You know, clapping their hands and saying, glory to God, this is neat. Sometimes we have that picture. Remember what the angels are? The warring messengers of God? According to the New English translation of verse 13, uh, the people that, the, the, or the ones that show up here are a, quote, vast heavenly army, end quote. That's different than what I've always thought. That's like putting G.I. Joe on top of your manger scene at home. And that's incredible. There's a whole group of them. Our text reads in the, in the ESV, it says, a multitude of heavenly hosts. That's who's declaring praise to God. Now, I wonder, what if we thought about our corporate singing 
in the military imagery that Luke puts it in? What if we, and this is very much myself included, what if, I wonder if we would sing less like tired consumer Christians disinterested in songs, kind of cynical of church music. And I wonder if we think this way of what's happening and what the message is, if we'd sing more like we understand that we're actively engaging the enemy in war in a Jericho-like fashion where we are crying out in unified hearts and minds and voices to God to do something unimaginable. That's different. That's different than what I just did this morning. Even though I already knew that I was going to tell you about this, I still went that way. Well, just sing some songs. So here's, a, here's, here's what we do with our songs up here. We do think about it a lot. Taylor does a fantastic job. She had a ton of conversations. She's playing guitar here, not right now, but will be. And just thinking through the order of the songs, the content of the songs, how they're played, there's a real thought to what it is, where they fall in the service. We even flipped a couple songs around this morning just because we're like, ah, eh, it works better this way. People are gonna be here. We're gonna be thinking about this. We're thinking about that stuff for you guys as we lead. But one of my things, just reading this, putting in the wording maybe Luke would, and one of my rules for, for the songs we sing is that if we're going to engage the enemy through song, we're gonna make sure we have some substance in our punch. <laughs> so, when we sing, we rejoice. Sing out when you declare the truth of God's good news. I'd encourage you, as we read the words, to know that you're singing real things. When you say them, they are things, especially if the song says, I do this or that. Make sure you do this or that. How do I respond to what I'm reading and singing? What if I don't believe that? Then what do I need to do? What if I do believe that? Then why am I not acting that way, doing that? If I am, just let it go. This is fantastic. Be the angelic host singing, declaring that the king is coming because he is a king we already know wins. You can already claim the victory in your song to Satan and remind him that he is losing this battle. Oh man, what freedom there is that we can sing that way. We can sing strong because we have a king a warring king who is our savior. Mm. Rejoice, God saves sinners. I've got four, I don't know, observations, implications for you that we get from this text. Here's one. There is a real war raging in the spiritual realms for the hearts and minds and souls of people. That's a real reality. It's not stuff of fiction. So be alert to whether you're being coerced on one side or the other, unintentionally carrying weapons of one or the other, not knowing what side is actually the good side. Be alert. There is a real warring king who has already won the fight, so confidently find refuge in him. You can go there. His arms are wide. His comfort is deep. There is a message of God. Uh, there is a message of good news. So hear it and believe it. And keep hearing it and keep believing it until your fear becomes joy. Read the Bible. Read the message. I don't say read the Bible because that's what pastors have to say. I say read the Bible because this is the message. This is from the 
commander-in-chief of heaven. This is the king of kings. He gave us the plan. He gave us the way to go about it. And he communicates it very clearly to us. I mean, this is what, what this part of the plan, what I've, I've read like five verses. There are a whole lot more verses there. There's a beautiful plan. Read it, reread it, reread it, reread it, reread it. Psalm 51, you should write that down. You should go there this week. Read it, reread it. There's something amazing that happens when you read and reread scripture. I, I knew a guy that, um, that he, uh, a pastor, he ended up writing a book on the, uh, on the, the Lord's Prayer. He said he would, he would go through the Lord's Prayer every day. And he would, just, he would say it out loud. He would go through it. It's something we do every week. And he said it was amazing how a month after doing this, all of a sudden he had a new thought about the kingdom. All of a sudden he had a new insight to the same few words that were there. Psalm 51, I have read it and reread it. And I hate rereading it because it's all about my sin. But it's also all about how God saves sinners. Psalm 51, read it, reread it, reread it. Also, maybe before all that, trust me that it actually does something. If you'll go there and you ask God, give me the answer. Give me the answer. What do I need to do? How do we reconcile all this? Who is Jesus in my life? Read it, reread it, reread it. And read it until your fear becomes joy. Hmm. And then the final, uh, I don't know, observation from this. Rejoice. Actively rejoice. Rejoicing isn't so much uh, just a a cognitive checkoff, like, hmm, that's pleasing. I'm going to rejoice in my mind. There's an embodied action in that. Like, talk about it. Uh, What what do you do when when your team scores? If you're like me, whoever, even your kids, it's on your lap. You stand up and they go flying and you throw your hands up. We won. There is a praise that happens in those kind of things. How do you do that? Go out if you really don't believe this message, uh, then, then, then it's hard to, to, to rejoice that way. And I'm not scolding you. I'm not shaming you. Uh, what I want you to, to know is that it's okay to go and talk about this. Like, it's okay to rejoice in this. It's okay to go to your Christmas with your family and say, yeah, we have a lot of hope in what this, what this, what this holiday is because we really do believe it's about Jesus. And that's okay because that is wonderful. Yeah, we go to a church and they like candles and that's kind of strange. And they got this like cross that's lit up and it's got this purple thing on it. Royalty, robes, Jesus King, that's what that is. Uh, what does all of that mean? It's kind of strange. We do strange things. We're about to do the Lord's Supper and take and receive that. It's a wonderful thing, and it's okay that we do that. It's okay to rejoice in these things. So rejoice. There is a God who can pull you from the no man's land of the war that we're in. He can, he can bring you and rescue you and save you. He can keep you in his refuge. He is a good God. He's a loving God. He is a true God. Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you.